This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode six. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I wanted to ask that if you find yourself enjoying this podcast, please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and tell me there what you think of the show. Today's guest is Tish Oxenreiter, who is an author, blogger, podcaster, and avid reader. We discuss the importance of where she reads, books written especially for book nerds, author stories on and off the page, and of course, what she should read next. Let's get to it. Tish, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. Okay. So we have been tossing book recommendations back and forth on the internet and email and Voxer for years, but I don't think we've ever talked about your big picture for what you read, why you read, and I would love to hear it. Tish, why do you read and how do you read? How do you choose your books? Tell us about your reading life. Reading from the moment I could read has been my default downtime activity. We are kindred spirits. Yeah, we are. We are. My mom has this funny story of when I was a kid, I would, she couldn't find me. They were about to call the police and she finally found me. I was under one of those corner tables with the tablecloth. She lifted it up and I had fallen asleep. I was under there reading. Um, (laughs) And so that says it all. My parents would even jokingly tell me like, put down the book and go outside or put down the book and turn on the TV. (laughs) Like they just, you know, thought it was hilarious that I read so much. Um, So reading to me is kind of like drinking water. I can't imagine not doing it. It's just sort of my default. Like, of course I'm reading. Of course I'm always reading something. Um, I feel a little bit of a pit in my stomach, more like a hole if I'm not reading something. I don't even know how to not be in the middle of a book. Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to sound all wise or, you know, like I read, can't believe you don't. It's not that. It's just, I don't even know what it's like to not be a reader. So you're not looking down your nose at us. No. I appreciate and, that. And that's no, not I'm, at all to say I, like I fly too. through books either. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. um, I'm an average reader speed wise and you know what I mean? So it's not like I'm, I'm a fancy reader. I just am a reader. So. Is it an anchoring point in your life? Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. Like I can think back to like when, you know, we traveled around the world last year, I can actually think of places by the books I was in the middle of reading. Yes, that's just sort of what happens. Too. Right. Oh, that's fun. It's fun to connect with another reader who is so devoted to their to their books. Okay, Tish. So here's how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me yes. three books you love. Okay. What's book one? And this- 
Okay, the first book is so unoriginal because everybody these days is saying this. Um, and it's All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. And I think you've had at least two other guests talk about this book. You I know, think. it is what it is. And I'm so interested in hearing why you chose it. Because people may have the exact same list of favorites and they may have been chosen for completely different reasons. And I will say one of my reasons is pretty unique. Um, and it just harkens back to what Ooh. I was just saying. Uh-huh. So on the trip... We, you know, I, my Kindle is connected to my local library here. So I was easily able to check out books. And, um, so I requested a hold on all the light cause there was like 87 people in front of me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it automatically downloaded right before I boarded the flight to France. And so I read that book in France when we first got there. Not fair, and, but okay. And, I know. I would like look outside my window. I would walk through our little village and the village has a statue in the middle of it that's uh, in memoriam to World War II and everything that happened there. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. So to me, it it became such a tangible, visceral, real thing for me. Like I felt like I was living through all the light in a weird sort of way. Aside from it meaning something personal, I also just think Anthony Doerr is a fantastic storyteller. He does this great – he has this knack of telling a complicated story very simply. You know what I mean? He doesn't mm-hmm. use fancy words. His sentences are crystal clear. He He's just a straightforward writer, and I really appreciate that. And then as a fellow author, I always love the backstories of writers, and Anthony Doerr is so fun. First of all, he's from Idaho and that's near, kind of near, I mean, it is near where I was in central Oregon. And so I felt this connection. I like picturing writers write their books and he was there and, um, he took 10 years to write that book and he's only in his early forties. And so that meant he started writing it in his early thirties. And I so appreciate this day and age, someone taking 10 years to write a book and waiting till it was that good. You know, and obviously it's good. It won the Pulitzer. And um, you know how books are these days. It's like a factory right now. You know, Mm -hmm. publishers are just pumping out so many books. And as an author, there is intense pressure to be putting out books every other year. And that's that's being generous. And to me, that feels ridiculous. And so I just appreciate that he took his time on this book and it became such a great book. And so that's kind of a weird reason to like a book, right? No, that's a good it's a good one. And it always makes me think of one of my favorites, um, Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety, where there's some quote in the text in one of the characters' mouth that says something like, hard writing makes for easy reading. And I always think about that when I find out it took an author like 10 years to write an amazing book. It is so true. Because that tell... was a slog for him, that book. But it doesn't uh, read like it. You'd never know if you didn't know Oh, the I'm backstory. sure it was. I can't even imagine. Like, I love picturing reader or writers in their writing process. And that had to be – he had to have so many Post-it notes on his on his walls, I would imagine. You I know? hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's book two? Book two is Essentialism mm-hmm. by Greg. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. I don't know either. McKeown, McKeown. McCone, I don't we'll, know, we'll put it in show me. notes so you don't have Someone to. Correct you me, don't I'm have sure. to type it into Google on your own, right? And um, you know, it's funny. I'm kind of hearing my own voice and getting some clarity as I talk. I think another reason I like this book is because he makes something complicated very simple. Uh huh. You know. So um, tell us the like the Twitter version of what it's about. Okay, this book is about how we don't need to do 99 percent of what we do. And so what he – this is nonfiction, obviously. He's talking about how um, essentialism means cutting out absolutely everything in our life that we don't have to do so that we have enough resources, time, energy, whatnot to do the things we need to do very, very well. And so it's this concept of – I mean, 
<laughs> just cutting out the crap basically. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and to me, you know, even when I say it, it's like, well, that's obvious. Why do you need a whole book about it? But that's the thing. His, he goes into just enough details and there's just enough like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, convicted for sure. Um, to make it a must read for me. Like, honestly, I think this might be a close to annual read for me as an entrepreneur and even as a mom, um, just kind of a good, uh, manifesto almost, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an easy book to read. It's not very long. So I really appreciate that too. Mm -hmm. Did it feel the right length to you? Um, it it's did. gotten I, a lot of criticism for being too long for a book. I was going to say it, it feels a hair too long to me because there are some books out there that, um, you know, when it's said, it's said, and then you kind of feel like the last few chapters. But here's the other thing. As an author, I have some grace with that because I understand that might not have been his call. It might have been his publishers. Mm-hmm. Publishers are weird. They have an X number of pages they want in their books for marketing salesy reasons that I don't get, mm-hmm. even for printing reasons, like in terms of like the physical, how it's printed. And so I give grace to writers sometimes when a book is good enough. Mm-hmm. Now, if a book's not that great and it just goes on and on, then that's another oh. <laughs> No mercy. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Okay. What's book three? Okay. Book three is The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey. Mm, such good and fun for book lovers. It is. And that's what I like so much about it. It, it kind of validated my nerdiness. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Because, yes, I do. And it validated my awkwardness because, <laughs> because A.J. Fickrey, I'm pretty sure he's an INTJ also. Um, like me and my Myers-Briggs type, because he's he is adorably awkward. I don't know if that's true of me, but um, he he's kind of a jerk, but he means well. And, um, so he becomes this protagonist that you grow to love in spite of him. Does that make sense? You know, like he's not, he's not classically, he's not your classic. I really, no, he's your cranky old man, except he's not that old. So Tish, actually he was in my, um, the best summer reading for every Myers-Briggs type. Ah, and I pegged him as an ISTJ. He could have. Yeah, I could see that too. Could, I can see that too. You know, he can't yeah. give us any feedback on that, but. Well, I was going to say, I don't, I'm kind of lame in the Myers-Briggs. I know my type well, my husband's type well, and then just a few friends, but I don't know across the board. I'm not Oh, very I'm no expert. Us. Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, I really like the storyline. It's, it's um, sweet and simple. Again, I have a thing for simple stories told well, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, it might be a thing in my life. Simple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? But, right. Um, I like settings. I like good settings. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's like, oh, I want to visit there or I want to live there or Uh whatever it is. Um, And that one seemed like a fun little thing. I I like stories on islands. Uh Like I like um, the the Potato Peel Society. Uh I forget that book. Uh On the Island of Guernsey. Uh I I love islands. We go to Bainbridge Island, go to Martha's Vineyard. Those are some of my favorite places to hole up and just relax and be. And so the story is set on an island and I just like that. I don't know what it is about islands, Uh but. I, I just like him. And so the setting is is nice. And I love bookstores. And so it's like the whole book is in a bookstore. And that's a great place to be, I think. Um, and I don't know. It's just a fun, heartwarming story that has a little twist that you don't expect. But it's not like totally blow your mind, sixth sense kind of twist. It's just kind of a fun twist, you know? So I'm wondering what you're thinking about. Because I was just thinking that story was a bit darker than I expected. Did you hmm. feel that? Or did you know, did you feel like you knew what was coming when you went in? Oh, I didn't know what was coming. So I'm not trying to say it was like a delightful, you know, skip through the woods. It's not for sure. But um, no, there is a darker twist. I agree with you, but it's not darker like it bothers me and my HSP side has to like go do something else. You know what I mean? It, I do. it didn't. I do. It's not graphic at all. So yeah. I don't know. And it and worked. It, 
it it works for me. Mm-hmm. And okay, back to the reading where you know I read that in Australia. Whenever we finally um, got to a part of our trip where we just had lots of downtime uh-huh. and we weren't sightseeing and we weren't go go going, we were staying in the suburbs of a friend's house, house sitting, and so it just felt very like oh, I can be my normal self again. Oh. And so, so that's me- when you were under the table with your book and your family <laughs> couldn't find you. Right. No, this is. <laughs> Well, pretty close. I was reading it also when I was working on my e-course. And so this was my one way to hole up and just do something that totally I didn't need to do. You uh-huh. know what I mean? It wasn't work-related. It wasn't anything related other than just a fun story. So yeah. good memories on that end. Man, I didn't even realize. It's like having therapy here. I didn't realize so much of my favorite books come from how and when I was reading them. Okay. Now tell me what you hate and where <laughs> you were reading it, Tish. I'm nervous about saying this because I know people really like it. But a book I really hated, I could not finish, is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. And, I, and I'm very hesitant to say this because I hear she is a lovely person now, you know, um, however many years later from when the book took place. Um, I but, made it to page 37 of that one myself. How far okay. did you get? Um, a little bit farther. I don't know. It's on my Kindle. So I know, yeah. you know, percentage wise, so I want to yeah. say maybe 40%. Kyle read the whole thing. So he finished it because, and he even agreed with me for the reasons I didn't like it, but the setting overtook like those reasons for him. He, you know, he's from the West, the Northwest and he just loves, and he's a mountain guy. So he loves climbing mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so the reason I hated it was because I find even if a protagonist is, unlikable in the like an AJ Fickery sense if it's a true story and the person seems to really be um what's the nice way to put it (laughs) maybe irresponsible or immature or justifying very poor decisions with a who cares this is what I want to do I have a really hard time enjoying their story if there's not a um a clear if there's not a voice that says, and I know this is dumb, but just hold on, I'll get to that. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, I quit because the uh, it was hard. It was a hard story at the beginning, and the heroine just got me. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, much heroine. Yeah, she's a heroine. She's a heroine. Just didn't feel like she was enough in it to um, become a better person. It, it felt like her trip she took to escape responsibility and not to come out on the other side a wiser, more mature person. Maybe she did and it just didn't come across for me. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as a fellow traveler, I find um, just really good stories from traveling have to do with um, something you've learned, something you've um, – taken in your life and you know maybe I'm not giving it due diligence because I didn't finish it but I I get I know generally how it ends because I've you know I'm on the I, I mean she gets the end right I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen the movie with Reese Witherspoon but I haven't I, either I, I, haven't I don't either. know about the triumphant emotional ending I hope there is one okay I, hope so too. I don't know I I felt the same way about wild however okay. um a few friends convinced me to read Tiny Beautiful Things, the Dear Sugar book, which is basically a compilation of the advice columns that Cheryl Strayed wrote anonymously for The Rumpus. Do you know yeah. about that book? No. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. So she wrote an advice column for years anonymously at this website. And so some friends talked me into reading it. And that book also, like, it needs warnings. There are triggers galore and so much profanity. And lots of readers aren't going to be happy with the advice she gives, at least some of it. But I just loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it so much. Um, she she tells so much of her story, her, her own story, um, 
about the heroin and the drugs and there's a history of sexual abuse in her family and right. it was like you'd laugh and cry on the same page every That's page interesting it was See, so like, good that already makes me think wild might not be that bad simply because it gives me hope that she ends up being an okay person yeah so I felt like that was the backstory to wild so mm-hmm. when I started wild on page one I didn't know the whole story leading up to page one so now I haven't gotten there yet I just read tiny beautiful things a couple months ago but I'm absolutely going to pick it up and try it again because I feel like I know enough about her now you know about mm-hmm. Cheryl Strait and her history to hang with wild through the gritty parts because having read tiny beautiful things um I I understand. I understand why she what I mean, how about I have a lot of empathy with her. I have no idea what that's like. It's she but she gave just enough of a window to make me go, Oh my goodness, I had no idea. No wonder. No wonder that's where you were on page twelve of that book. Right. That so, is so interesting. Okay, I'm really curious to see how Cheryl Strayed became the person she was. I mean, she has off heartbreaking stories from when she was three years old in Tiny oh. Beautiful Things. Well, see, so how did she become the woman who set out on the Pacific Coast Trail? And then how did she become the woman who was able to look back and give herself and others so much compassionate advice? Sure. Sure. Man, now I sound like a jerk for even saying this. <laughs> no, I felt exactly the same way. And sure. I think it's so interesting how much of an author's story is off the page and how much that matters. Right. Well, and I think, too, maybe this is a personal thing as well. But um, I, you know, I just finished writing my travel memoir that's going to be out ages from now. Uh-huh. But um, so I did some research on travel memoirs. And here's the thing I am noticing. The vast majority of them out there um, are someone escaping something not someone wanting to um, almost come to something, like come to a deeper understanding. Well, they, wa- they want to go to find them. Everyone leaves to go find themselves. But it's almost like they're doing that in a way of like leaving um, what – it feels like they hurt people in their wake, you know, yeah. or they – or they tick people off or something. There's not this like collective and this is a good, wise, responsible idea in the travel memoir genre. I know there are plenty of stories out there of people traveling. They're probably not interesting enough to put in a book form. I don't know. Um, And so I think for me, I had read several others in that genre um, that are probably fairly well known that I didn't also love. And so by the time I got to Wild, I was just like, oh my gosh, one more of someone who feels Uh so irresponsible to me. Forget Uh it. So, you know, it was also me, basically. Oh, I think it's, well... Huh. I was going to say, I think it's always me coming to a book. I've heard that like, there's a book. It's not that a book isn't good. It's just that you're not the right person to read it. And that's, that's, true. that's true to a, to a point. I could see to that actually. Point. I mean, that makes sense. That's why you're, when you're reading something, you think of somebody and say, oh, they would like this as opposed to somebody else. Cause maybe it's written more for them. I can see that. But yeah. that doesn't mean there aren't books out there that maybe shouldn't be. That's true. So, yeah. Or <laughs> oh, how about, totally how about true. that didn't need a little more editing? Let's, let's put it like that. <laughs> That shouldn't be out there very yet. Nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah. Tish, what are you reading now? Well, um, I am a classic serial read several things at once, depending on the time of day. And I know some other people are too. I've already heard it on your podcast. Um, so that's me right now. I am reading um, a fiction book by Kate Morton, The Forgotten Garden. Uh-huh. How and, far are you? How are you liking it? Um, I don't know yet. I'm looking at my book right now. I'm not very far in. I want to say I'm on page 75 or so, and it's a big book, you know. Um, It's over 500 pages long. And so I would say I'm early on. It's taking me a while to get into it, to be honest. I read Uh another one of her books that I've already forgotten, the one about the big house. Um, Yes. The house. The distant (laughs) hours. No, not that one. It's the house. It's one of her earlier books. I don't remember. Oh, the house at Riverden? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's her first. And I enjoyed that. Okay. I mean, it was. I think she's still getting her sea legs. 
on that yes. one. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was like the most eloquently written, but it made for a fun story. Forgotten Garden is just taking me a while to get into it. Uh-huh. And I've heard um, some other books just like super recommended to me. So I'm sure she's a good fit for me. I just, I don't know yet about The Forgotten Garden. Have you read it? I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you like it? I did. But, you know, she's known for her twists, and that was the one that I, like, nailed right off the bat, which was a ah. little disappointing. Okay, got it. Yeah. I can see that. But I did. That was um, probably my – not my favorite, not my least favorite okay. of hers. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just and I can see how it would take a while. Sure, sure. Um, I, I honestly am reading this one because I already had it. You uh-huh. know, I'm trying to do a better job. Actually, this is the book on your book list or your reading guide for the year, the one, like, read a book that you have that you haven't read. Uh-huh. That's why I'm reading this one. Hooray. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to your your book guide or your reading guide. Okay. Um, the other one I am reading and I just started a week ago is The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Yes. Have you read it? I love that book. I love you it did. so much. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Okay. That's good to know. I am reading it. Um, it it's a little unfair. I'm reading it because I quote have to. Um, the school that my son is being enrolled in, um, they have parents read certain books. Are and you? A- that's why you're reading it? That it's is amazing. I love your yeah. kid's school. Right? Uh-huh. I know. I, I saw that on the list. I was like, well, I already want my kid to go to the school because you're having us read these books. Um, slash, I've heard good things about it, so I'm going to read it anyway. So that's officially why I'm reading it, but I'm already loving it. So Because the talent code isn't just about like, oh, how are you innately talented and what, what do you do with that? It's about um, cultivating skills and practicing them and his parents not screwing up your child's potential by giving them false praise or you know stupid rewards or you know it's about Uh encouraging their inner loves and fascinations and not stomping on them which is so easy to do as a parent it is so easy like scary easy right yeah I was gonna say this has so much more to do with me as a parent right now than my child um, (laughs) well it's assigned reading for you not him exactly and the school like one of their uh, big things is that they want kids to fail, but fail well. Uh-huh. And so I can already see why the talent code has to do with that, like that we learn from our mistakes or not even mistakes, but our um, la- non-successes, you know? Yeah. 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 And learn I'm just, by doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so interested in this whole idea of how our brain forms these paths, you know, and, and as we get better at something through lots and lots of practice, um, I just find that so interesting. Yes. So I'm really enjoying that book so far, but I'm super early into it. So, yeah, because it sounds really nerdy, but it's very well written, too. <laughs> it it's not nerdy. a slog. No, it's not sciencey at all, which I appreciate because mm-hmm. I there are books out there that sound interesting, but the way they're written, I'm just not very technical. So this is yep. a good one for that. And then the other one I'm reading is um, The Boys in the Boat. Yeah. And it's really good so far. Uh-huh. So it's a good story. I appreciate really good true stories. I love that genre. So, yeah, the nonfiction narratives that read like novels. I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's really fun so far. Oh, fun. Yeah. Is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Um, yes. There's two things I would love to be different. One is um, – now, I'm totally with you that I don't have to finish a book if it's not if it's not for me. I have zero guilt about putting down a book. Mm-hmm. If, um, but I have this terrible habit of – and I was just getting onto the kids about this this morning about our um, granola <laughs> – is that whenever – it's 90% done. They just don't finish at all. And so we have these little bags of granola with just a tiny bit left. Is that weird? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I do the same thing with some books. And like when I think of essentialism or whatever, when I see like, okay, I'm getting just, and this is probably just nonfiction, obviously, because a fiction book, I want to get to the end. Okay. Um, That makes me feel better about the choices you're making in life. Thanks. Um, (laughs) I would just like trail off and be like, okay, I get it. Yeah. 
and and I want to actually finish a book all the way. The other thing is I want to be better at recording the books I read. Like I was looking through my Goodreads and I had such good intentions last year for 2015 to record all my books. And I got through like June and then I just trailed off. And so I want to be better at that because I want to think through like, oh, I did read that and I like that. To me, if I record them, I actually, the books stay with me better. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to be a pen and paper. Yeah, it's like a photo album. Yeah. I love your choices and I definitely have books in mind. And I can't wait to hear what you think when we come back. All right. Hey guys, before we get back to my picks for Tish, I now back to my conversation with Tish. Okay, welcome back. Tish, I love your picks. You've chosen a truly gorgeous recent novel set during World War II, a contemporary personal growth self-help kind of book, and an easy reading novel explicitly designed to pander to book nerds. <laughs> but these books share an underlying theme, I think, same with what you're reading now. Or rather an underlying question, and that is, what's really important here? They ask the reader to look beneath the surface of her daily life and examine what it all really means. Like, what's the big picture? What makes life worth living? Do you see that, or do you think I'm crazy? Now I do. (laughs) I actually think, man, you know, we've done this before on my show years ago, and it felt like therapy, and I see that this is therapy too. (laughs) And and you know what? That's that's actually really insightful because that's actually a big – big passion of mine, helping people just see what really matters and getting rid of all the other things that don't. So that's awesome that you see that. Okay. So you're more consistent than you thought with reading in your life? Apparently so. Okay. Book one. Mm -hmm. I don't usually do this, but I'm making an exception. Okay. It's Four Seasons in Rome by Anthony Doerr. And it's Ah! totally exception worthy. Um, I don't like to recommend books that's by an author you've already read and loved. It feels Uh. like cheating because so many people do that naturally. But this book is fantastic. And also, I've talked to so many readers who adored All the Light and either think Four Seasons in Rome isn't for him or they've Mm -hmm. never heard of it. And we need to fix that because this little book is just too lovely to miss. You know what's Um, funny about this book? And this is what's interesting. Tell me, tell me. I checked it out at the library. Like it was on my, you know, the waitlist thing and because it auto downloads to my kindle it was just there and it's like yay and then i never read it and the only reason is because it was during christmas and i was working on my own book and there you know how you can't control when a book becomes available from the library that's what happened so i was very sad so i was going to recheck it out so this is awesome that you're suggesting it okay that's really funny that you said that because I actively resisted reading this for a long time and Mm -hmm. i checked it out of the library several times and returned it unread because this is bad i thought the subtitle was stupid like i'm I'm not even going to tell you. It's something like um, insomnia twins and the biggest funeral in the world. I'm like, what? What uh-huh. is? What is that? And why? <laughs> that goes to show you how important the subtitle is. And that's but the cover is gorgeous. The cover yeah. is so pretty. So that uh-huh. should have gotten me. And it's thin. But I just thought, ah, oh, that sounds kind of nebulous. Sure. So I'm going to try to make it sound a little more enticing. Okay. Here's what happens. Oh, and this fits so well into what you already like about him. So okay. Dor and his wife live in Idaho, and he's a writer. And his wife gets pregnant. She gives birth to twins, which is already earth moving, right? Right. But then on the day they come home from the hospital with their new babies, he finds out he's won a writer's residency in Rome and it starts in six months for the whole family to go. Oh, and for those who don't know, that basically means that it's a grant. An organization is giving him money and paying for him to room and board in Rome for a year with his family to work on his next novel. And so, my follow-up is, how do I get that? Right, exactly. Because how could you turn that down? Because Italy, right. Exactly. But 
so it never occurs to them to turn it down. And it's right. only later that Dora and his wife realize that everyone they knew thought they were out of their minds. Seriously? For oh mo- yes. For moving their family, two little tiny twin boys halfway around the world at that early crazy <laughs> stage. Yeah. But but they're like, it's Rome and cash to write my novel and we're going. Oh so my gosh. it's the okay. account of that year. Well, and I so know what it's like for people to think you're crazy. So I love that. Yeah. You probably resonate with this far more than I do. I've never been to Italy. Um, so their daily life, just reading about the grocery store is, mm. which sounds like a big overstatement. There's not much of a store to the grocery they get their food oh. at, but no, but no. it's yeah, mind blowing. And you know, the what, way- I know what you mean. I've actually thought about when I was on our travels, I could write a whole book about different places, grocery stores. So I already am so excited to read. Right. Yeah. And just so the little sites like our page turners and the way he describes the big sites, like the Parthenon and a whole bunch of little chapels I'd never heard of and had to Google. Like I kept Googling um, the names of the architectural sites and the street <laughs> corners and the plazas and the small towns. Like I seriously spent maybe as much time on Google looking at Rome nice. as I did reading the book. And I mean that in the best sense. Did you totally. go there on your trip or any of we your trips? Did. We did. We oh, went there I'm with so the jealous. Langfords. We shared an apartment with them, Stephanie and her family. So it was jealous. insane. 13 of us in one apartment. Um so I haven't been, and his description still blew my mind, and this will have an extra level of personal connection for you. Oh, now, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, <laughs> I was just going to say, is this going to be one of those books? Because I have these books in my life that uh-huh. I read it and I think, dang it, I wish I wrote this. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, because his voice is so distinctive. I, yeah. I don't necessarily see you think, I mean, maybe a little bit like, wow, wouldn't it be great to write a book like that. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all, because when I read that, that makes me want to be a better writer. So that's what I love about Anthony Doerr. He's so good. I think, dang, I want to be a better writer. But I I think his voice is different enough from yours that you can appreciate it, maybe possibly without like (laughs) melting into a puddle of envy. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Okay. So this is important. Uh If you haven't figured it out yet, the novel he's working on in Rome is All the Light We Cannot See. So- During the story, you hear how the idea is germinating and then it begins to take shape because this memoir was published several years before All the Light. And to see that come together in hindsight after you've read that book that took him nearly a decade to write is just incredible. I've got shivers now and slight tearing up of my eyes. So I am absolutely going to read that now. I can't wait to hear what you think. It was such a good book. But I have to tell you, I think I refer to the stories as being page turners, and they are. But I think it took me a month to read that book. And it's not mm-hmm. much over, I think it's close to 100 pages. It's quite small. Um, and it just, the way he writes, it's simple, but it's so rich. And right. plus, I spent so much time on Google that mm-hmm. I didn't want to read it quickly. And I know people yeah. say that a lot of times about books that, oh, they want to savor them. And I always think they're crazy because if a book mm-hmm. is good, I generally want to read it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But I did read this one very slowly. I could see that with an Anthony Doerr because his sentences are so good. Like I, I, in all the light, I would actually reread a sentence just to appreciate how he constructed that sentence. Yeah. It wasn't self-conscious though. It felt like he didn't want you to read it quickly. Like he mm-hmm. wanted it to, you to sit with it. He is really good at what he does. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I can't wait to hear what you think about that one. Okay. I'm excited now. Okay, good. So I'm afraid about book two. I was formulating this in my head, and then you told me you were already reading Kate Morton. <laughs> what do you think? I am – well, this is my second Kate Morton, so obviously I already do like her. So I'm happy to – and honestly – the reason I'm reading The Forgotten Garden is because I have it. It's not because there aren't other books of hers I want to read more. So tell me what you think. Okay. 
So I do like her stuff, although I went backwards when I started reading um, her latest book then was The Secret Keeper, mm-hmm. which I think I read first, and then I worked backwards. So The House at Riverton felt underwhelming to me then because mm. she'd just gotten so good at her craft I after bet. putting yeah. four books away. But um, I, I do like her stuff. Um, I am singling out The Secret Keeper because until very recently, it was my favorite of hers. and. Okay. Only till very recently because I loved her newest, The Lake House. So I've heard that's good. Much. It's so good. Is it? It's so okay. good. But The Secret Keeper is set in World War II, like mm. All the Light is, although mm. the main storyline here unfolds in London and during the Blitz. I love London. So okay. That's cool. Well, I thought you might. Something matters so much to me. So there you go. I couldn't pick a book set in, like, I don't know, Texas for you. Yeah. So, except <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I could, you could probably connect to any spot if you're I could. World traveling Texas. heart. But I, Texas is underwhelming compared to a lot of people. Sorry. Well, that's good because we're, we're going to get mail for that. Yeah. So here's what you need to know. Okay. Uh, with all Kate Morton novels, this is true. The okay. story flips back and forth between the present day and the past. Right. She's famous for her big plot twists and she likes her endings tidy. Mm. So she doesn't end in ambiguity or unmitigated heartbreak. Yeah, I appreciate that about her. I like nice and tidy endings because I, I don't like just – it's hard when you have a really unsatisfying ending. A book I read over Christmas was Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh-huh. And the ending bothered me so much that I was like, this is a great book until it just suddenly ended. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not going to have that problem with this one. With okay. Kate Morton in general. That's good. That's so, good. She's also really deft in probing family secrets, a Ooh. theme you have popping up here. And that's what sets the secret keeper in motion. So there's a girl named Laurel, a girl. Well, she was a girl once. Now she's old and her mother is dying. But when she was a young girl, like 16, she witnessed a violent crime involving her mother, but the family hushed it up and Laurel was afraid and she didn't say anything about it ever, not for 50 years. Like she doesn't even think her mother knows she knows. Mm. But her mom is dying, and she's determined to discover what happens before her mom dies. And so that sets her on the trail of history, and Morton flashes back, and suddenly we're experiencing the story from the mother's point of view in London during the Blitz. And it's just – it's written so well. And I didn't know that much about the Blitz until really the past few years. There have been so many books set during that historical event. And, like, you can practically hear the bombs dropping. She's so good with her time and place. I love that. Oh, good. Okay, I'm excited. I kind of want to drop Forgotten Garden then and just read that one. What do you think? Ah, do it. If you're having a hard time getting into it. I am. Yeah. Because it's the book you own, so you can come back to it. That's true. And you may want to come back to it more. That's true. Yeah. Good point. I think you'd want to come back to it, though, because once you know, once you know where Kate, once you develop some trust with this author, I think you'll keep going. Exactly. I'm very, very loyal to writers, so yeah. I know. Me too. Me yeah. too. But I, I feel like it's a, like a safe bet. It's so hard to decide what to read and you don't know if books are going to be any good or not. So to discover an author that you love and trust is just, it's such it's, a wonderful feeling. It's the best. I know because I feel like I don't want to waste my time. Re- reading takes a while. It's not like just sitting down and watching something on Netflix. It takes a while. And so I will be really disappointed if I waste my time. And that's why I have no guilt about dropping books that aren't resonating with me. So I'm with you on that. Yep. Okay, book three, nonfiction. Uh-huh. This is The Little Bookstore of Big Stone Gap by Wendy Welch. Okay, I've never heard of this, so I'm excited to know more. Okay. Um, well, this subtitle is actually good and says a lot. It is a memoir of friendship, community, and the uncommon pleasure of a good book. So this is the story of two people, a husband and wife, who intentionally unplug from the lives they've been living, crazy pace, jobs they hate, And they move to a tiny coal mining town in West Virginia. 
And when they get there, they buy a giant white house and they turn it into a used bookstore. And I think you'll appreciate that they do second guess themselves throughout the story. Like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Are we doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And the author makes it pretty clear that their impulsive decision to like chuck it all and open this bookstore was fueled by an afternoon session um, of Tex-Mex and a giant picture of sangria. And that makes her sound like good people, right? It's, I already like her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she's funny. She's relatable. She tells a good story. Um, I wouldn't call this a read-alike for the storied life of A.J. Fickery, but of course they have a lot in common. Like many people love that for its peek into what the publishing industry is like with the sales reps and the listings (laughs) and the catalogs and the book sales. Um, So the little bookstore does the same thing. It gives you that glimpse behind the curtain, but it's for Uh a used bookstore, which is absolutely and completely different. And with all those small town quirks mixed in. So it's so much fun for book lovers, but in a totally different way. That's cool because I love book used bookstores too. That's like one of my favorite types of places to go to, you know, just to just a veg or whatever. So that's really fun. I've never heard of this. I don't okay. know why I haven't. It feels like a book I would have heard of. It does. It does. Yeah. Well, yeah. you'll want to, if you're anything like me, at least, you'll be Googling your pictures of uh, Big Stone Gap, West Virginia, and is the bookstore really there? <laughs> I think last time I checked, they had they had a website that they don't update very often. Uh-huh. So you, you know can't what? actually see the big White House. That's cool. And I don't know much about West Virginia other than the unfortunate stereotypes, except that we have a mutual friend, Mandy Amon, who lives there and her pictures are beautiful. So I love, I love to be happy. I'm happy to be wrong about certain places. So that would be great about this book. I think, I think it has potential. That's cool. Exciting. Okay. So Tish, what do you think you'll read next? Ah, Four Seasons in Rome. Yay. For sure. You got to tell me what you think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Okay. That sounds good. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much for talking books with me. Thanks. It was fun. Okay. All right. Hey, everyone. I love chatting with Tish about books for book lovers, books that point to what's really important in life, and her own book coming out next year. Remember, you can connect more with Tish by listening to her podcast, The Simple Show, visiting her blog, theartofsimple.net, or hitting her up on Twitter at Tish. That is T-S-H. Before we go, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes, hit subscribe if you haven't already, and then rate and review the show. Thanks again so much for listening. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B-O-G-E-L. Okay, that's it for this episode of What Should I Read Next? As writer Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.